Welcome, everyone, to Two Brain Radio. It is our mission at Two Brain to provide one million entrepreneurs the freedom to live the life that they choose. Join us every week as we discover the very best practices to achieve perfect day and move you closer to wealth. On this episode, we talk to Jeff Larsh. He is a co-owner with Mags Nichols of four locations up in Canada. We go over how to start your second location and then possibly onto your third or fourth, but we really dig deep into why you'd want to start into three or four locations and not just one more. Enjoy. All right. I'm here with Jeff Larsh. He's the owner of four different locations. They've been in business for eight years. Welcome to Two Brain Radio, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me, Greg. Happy to, man. And I really want to kind of get this out here. We want to talk about multiple location model uh, and how that works. And I know myself, I've been very interested in it, looking at other locations, branching out from where we originally started and giving my st- staff more opportunity. But it's it's a little bit of a struggle. It is not the easiest thing to do, not only for myself, but I know for multiple people. And I kind of wanted to bring you on because I wanted to talk about these things and how you went from one location to four locations in eight years uh, and how somebody else could strategically do that same thing. So let's get a little bit about your background. So let's let's start there. What made you open the gym and then get you to having four locations in eight years later? No problem. I was a hockey player by trade as a younger man, totally different life. So I, I played some OHL hockey and uh, I played out in Dalhousie um, where I did my kinesiology degree. And after that, the summer after I finished my with up in Dalhousie, uh, I ended up opening my first CrossFit gym. I found CrossFit in trying to find better ways to train my hockey players better and to get better results. And we tried CrossFit one summer and it was just uh, an eye-opening experience to say the least. And I found a real passion for coaching it. And so when I was done school, I decided to open my first gym and that happened, to, wow, almost eight years ago. And from there, I've been very fortunate enough to have met some really great people along the way who are also as ambitious as I am. And from there, we went from one to, to four locations. Awesome. So now that you're at four locations, eight years later, what were what were the steps that you had to have in place from the first location to gaining that second location? And uh, what kind of was your, your ideas for, for doing that and not just growing your first location more? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually really excited to be on this podcast because I want to help people not do it the way I did it. We jumped before we looked. My, my business partner, Megan Nicholas, who's been with me almost right from the very beginning, we decided early that one location, the two of us weren't going to be able to make enough money to actually have the lifestyles that we were looking for. So we decided to do a second location. Little did we know, we probably had a little bit more upside than we were, we were giving ourselves credit for. But from there, and about a year and a half, we decided to open our second location. And we were just barely profitable at that time. And I would not recommend anybody doing it that way going forward. But uh, necessity is a, it's a great motivator. So we opened our second location from there. It was a, small, a, a smaller space, um, nice low rent, and we parted. And I worked on that location, grew that location up. And from there, we ended up, I ended up moving to Burlington, uh, if you know Toronto area at all. And we ended up having uh, starting up our third location there. So and it kind of just spiraled from that way where we would get to the point where we were kind of very 
just breaking even and started a second or a third location. So that's the way we did it. And quite honestly, I, I would probably recommend you take a little bit more time and a little bit more, uh, more thought before you do it that way in the future. Okay. So if we took that step back and we had the ability to do a do-over, what exactly would be the first step that you would instruct people to do if they wanted to open a second, third, fourth location? Because I, f- I have a feeling it, 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 the steps after this from first to second are the hardest. And then from second to third, third to fourth, it kind of gets easier because you kind of get the steps already built into place and know exactly what the next step is. So from that first location, somebody is interested in in opening a second location somewhere. What exactly would be the first step you would suggest them to do? The first step, what I would make sure that it, it aligned with with your vision and mission for what you were looking to do. Having a second location can seem like a really good idea. It might not actually be the answer to the questions that you're asking yourself. So if if having a second location seems like a shiny object that you would be really interested in, in getting involved in, but it doesn't actually, isn't actually going to make you happier or actually be financially rewarding, then I wouldn't even go forward with it. I would be concentrating on my one location first. But if your mission and vision involves having a bigger impact, having a bigger team so that you can, you can um, help more people, then absolutely the second and third locations are going to be able to help you there. Okay. From there, what do we need to have financially? Because I know you said you guys kind of took that leap of faith. What financially would you say people need to be at to sustain and get into a second location? You're going to need to have, you're going to need to be profitable. You're going to need to have some, some cash saved up and you're going to need to be operating at a, at a level that you're making, uh, we, we say in Two Brain, operating a profit of about 33%. So if you're not at that point yet and you are still working towards becoming fully profitable, I would wait until I've been profitable for probably three to six months before I even considered opening a second location. Okay. So now somebody somebody says, yes, this aligns with what I, I want to do with my business. It's the vision of what we're doing. We want to help more people in more locations. I know for me, I wanted to have a, an, an opportunity for my coaches to do go somewhere else, basically. So I said, okay, why don't we go 400 miles away, which is nowhere near where they're currently at, and say, let's open something there. And if that's where you want to be, great. If that's not where you want to be, that's okay too. But at least giving them that opportunity. So some people, some people have different visions and what they want want to do. For me, it was my staff's my vision for my staff and what I want to do. For you, it was hey, it was an alignment of what the business owner wants, which in turn basically would be the same thing uh, because that's what I wanted. Nice. So from there, somebody has a thirty three percent profit margin. They've been doing that for six months now. Have a good amount put into a profit account. Hopefully, they're using a profit first method, but. From there, what would be the next step that you'd suggest them taking? Now you got to take a really hard look at, at your operations and your product and what you're offering. And you need to decide whether or not you can replicate that and scale that to the next level. Is what you're offering completely dependent on a single person and their skills and their ability to, to, to sell or to provide a product? Or is it an operational thing, a system thing? where you're now able to teach somebody else how to do that role and, and provide that operations to your, to your second location. So the next level that you're going to have to look at is to make sure that the system is in place. The next step that you're going to be looking to do is to make sure that your systems are sound and that the, the processes that you're running are not dependent on a single person's skills or abilities, 
but are actually the success of those systems are, are being are in the operations of them and that you have all that written down. So you're going to need to have a complete set of SOPs and a system in place in order to replicate those systems to scale. So a couple things that are that when you're running one location that doesn't really come into play yet is how well you are able to train new people and how well you're able to hire the right people. When you have one location, you have lots of time to do these roles and, and, to, and to train people and to hire people. But as you scale and as you add locations, these processes get harder and harder. And you're actually going to have to hand these processes off to other people so that you can train people at multiple locations at a single time and that you can continue to hire people as, as the normal churn of, of employees and staff happens. So those are two really big, important steps that are, that are needed after you have financial uh, stability. Okay, so if you're basically saying that people need to make sure that it, their SOPs, their, I mean, opening, closing doors, basically every system that currently is in within their business needs to be spot on. And it needs to be able to be, if we trans, transport it into this new location, which is what's going to happen, everything will still fire just the way it needs to. That's exactly it. And, and the real reason is because when you find a, a fault in it, you now have multiple people and multiple systems that you need to go back in and fix it on. And that can be disastrously time consuming to go back and fix a single small thing at three, four, five different locations at a time. That, and that makes complete sense. Complete sense. So now that we have sound operations, we are good to go with that. We have everything, all our staff is on board, everything's ready to go. What's the next step from there? The next step is to start looking at a supportive structure. Um, and what I'm talking about here is that when you're going to a multiple location model, you're actually adding another layer of roles that need to be completed in order to have them still function at a high level. And we're talking sales and marketing directors, we're talking financial directors, operations directors, and roles like that. There are a bunch of other roles that we've found that we've been playing around with trying to figure out the best way and in, in which roles actually do are able to be pulled out to a supportive position, such things as head coach. Can a head coach play that role at multiple locations? Social media director. Can one person manage more than one location social media at a time? And discovering and playing with those kind of roles and, and topics and to make sure that you have a supportive organizational structure that allows the systems to, to the individual systems to run at a high level. Okay. So I want to kind of dig a little bit into this. I'm, I'm very curious about this and, and how that was done. When you decided to have that second location and you, you developed these roles, did you take current staff that you have that are fulfilling these roles or did you kind of move in a different direction for that? When we did our second location, we took... I pretty much went and did it. And I believe we took one staff member with us. And we were actually close enough to our an initial location to have a, a small membership base begin there. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean it's more financially rewarding for us because um, we were kind of taken from the same pot, but it was allowed us to continue to run at a very consistent basis. We did not have our systems together. We did not have our processes together at this time. So we were still running at the, the whim of the, let's call them the general manager, myself and Maggot at, at Danforth, in order to make sure that everything was getting done at, at, at an, the appropriate level of success. That was the hard part, was because once we, me and Meg split, 
there was no, we weren't able to scale past that. We were stuck. We were at a level that we were both able to run our locations well, but there was not, there was no next step, if that makes sense. Okay. So basically you were taking your, your current client or your current coaches, excuse me, and being able to fill them in, in only one role. And then you were taking on the rest. So going, going back again, if we could redo this, would you suggest people to work within and have their staff kind of take on some of these higher value roles and then kind of get more coaches to fill in where, wherever they would be needed? Or would you say people just need to go outside and just find the system experts in, in some of these categories or hire out companies to come in like, or marketing instead of seeing if they can find somebody within? This is a, that's a really good question, Greg. And I've, al- <laughs> I've always played with the idea that we raise people up into in our organizations until they can't do that job. So what a, there's a, a saying for, and I can't remember it offhand right now, but the idea is that somebody's good at coaching. So we pull them off the floor and we give them the manager's job and then, okay, they're good at the manager job. And then we pull them off that and we give them a director's role. And then they're not actually great at that director's role. So I want to caveat this because it's really, I want to say be cautious with bringing people out of roles that they're already really good at because they might not necessarily have the skill set to do the higher level role. So it's going to be a case by case situation where you're not going to want to draw somebody, your best coach off the floor in order to put them in a managerial role, unless that fits with their future goals, unless that fits with their personality and unless that's something that they can do a really good job at. Okay. So you would suggest probably hiring out for the most part. Now, some may fit it. And I mean, you'd really, by that point, you should definitely know your staff. So that would be a key. Uh, but you would say that uh, for some of these bigger roles, more of that meta role, I'd call it like financing, CFO, COO, we would probably look exterior possibly for those system experts. And that's exactly it. Sales and marketing, that is an industry. And that is an industry that as a, as a gym owner, I did not understand. I could learn it. And there was, there was a time where I was starting to learn it, but bringing somebody in who had that expertise, who had that personality and was able to do that role really well for us, uh, worked really well. And her name is Jen Limiter and she's awesome. So, Excellent. Okay. So now that we have, we basically have the right people for the right seats. What's the next step that we need to take into making sure that this, this next location is not only profitable, but really heading in the right direction and, and everything's put into place? You got to decide whether or not you're starting your next location or you're going to buy a second location. And I think there's upsides to both. So what it let's, let's talk about buying another location. What do you feel like the upsides and downsides are though of that would be? Buying a second location is completely dependent on a culture fit. If you're purchasing a second location that does not have a similar culture internally already established, you're going to run into trouble assimilating them into your culture and you're gonna have a lot of trouble making sure that the members get on board with what you're doing and and their team is going to get on board with what you're doing so the hardest part of buying i believe a new location is to make sure that team that you're you're buying that comes with that location is similar to what you're already doing and that takes a lot of time and that actually takes a lot of no's that takes a lot of opportunity and saying no opportunity and saying no until you find that right fit for you. Okay. And in, and and in that instance, I mean, not only does it have to be the members that have to be very close or, or very similar to your current culture in your gym, but then also the staff would have to be in the same boat, correct? It's, it's imperative. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so what, what would be the benefits and, and also probably the negatives too of starting, your, starting a brand new location then? Starting a new location is a, is a great option. It's a lot more work. You're, 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 you're setting yourself up. Um, it's going to be probably a little bit cheaper. You're going to be able to have a little bit less upfront cost in order to do a, to start your own second location, but it's a lot more work. You're going to have to go through signing new leases. You're going to have to go through hiring. You're going to have to go through a lot of other processes that you might be able to skip if you can find a good culture fit with a, with a current location that is already in operations. Okay. What's what, which way did you guys actually decide to go? I've done, we've done four locations. We did actually end up having to close one location. So nobody's perfect. We've started four on our own and we've actually just purchased one last year. And I believe that if I can find good culture fits, that purchasing a location and helping that owner or or somebody that's in a, in a, a managerial or leadership role at that location, find success while they can still coach and not have to worry about the business side of things. I believe that is a way we will go in the future um, if we choose to continue to expand. Okay. If someone's, and this is definitely something that I've thought about, and if someone out there is listening to this and decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to buy this location, but I don't have the funds to do it. How did you actually go about making sure that, did you just have the funds already uh, in the account to buy that location or that was pre-existing? Or did you have to get some kind of financing or investors to be able to do it? The way we did it, we do, we do it through a shareholder loans. So we have a, a small group of people, myself and Mags are majority owners, and then we have minority owners at each location. So we actually, in our, in our, the, the location that we per, just purchased, we did have an owner stay on, and he is now the manager at that location. And he has continued to keep a percentage of his stake in the, in the gym as well. And I believe that that is a, a good way to have somebody who's still pot committed and, and is still able to be responsible for that spot. Oh, 100%, 100%. And I, I never even thought of it in that direction. With that, did you guys actually then having that owner still be on, on, on the board of directors? I mean, he's a shareholder, but then also manages, manages the business for that. Did you guys actually have to go in then with cash and say, hey, we're going to buy out this amount of, of the business then from you? Yes, that's exactly it. So uh, we went through the valuation process. We ended up buying out one of the partners. And then Adam, his name is Adam Bussier, he ended up buying back from us. Awesome. Excellent. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. So now somebody has decided whether they're going to start the new location or they're starting to buy, they're going to buy the business out, which can be a whole nother podcast <laughs> about buying a business. Um, and I'm sure we will do that works. in the future. <laughs> but so what's the next step that people need to do? Well, you need to, you need to finalize the offer. You need to have sound numbers. You need to you need to do your due diligence. You need to get into the into the location. And the only way you're going to find out whether or not your culture fit is whether or not, is by spending some time with both the team and the members. We worked out with the members a lot. We went in and, and did a bunch of classes. We me and Adam went for a couple of beers and and we really got into the nitty gritty of exactly where we wanted our gyms to be and made sure that we our direction aligned before we even decided to to take the step into partnership. And I think we're really lucky. Excellent. That. No, I th- that's that's a that's an amazing idea for people to do because I think too many people just kind of want to stay 
apart from each other until the finalize of the business transactions happen. And then one person moves out, one person moves in. But I feel like that definitely could rock the boat a lot more than uh, I think people intend to. So basically making sure that they they finalize everything, but then really ingrain themselves into what what that new gym is like that they're going to be purchasing and making sure that, hey, this is really the the people and the community that we want to have be part of us. And that's exactly it. And the only way you're going to do that is face-to-face. You're only going to be able to do that by spending enough time together that you've gotten out past the pleasantries and you're actually able to talk openly about what you want and, and make sure that you do align. Excellent. Now that we have that done, we've, we know that this is it. When do we actually state it to the members? When do we state it to the staff? If it hasn't been already stated, What's what's that next step look like so that we make the entire transfer completely from from one to another? This is this is going to be completely dependent on your timelines, what you want to do. The way we did it is we held off from actually making a name change for I believe three to six months. And the reason we did that is we wanted to we made sure that the members understood that an ownership change has occurred. You never want to hide anything from your members. They're gonna hear about it, they're gonna know be transparent. This is what's happening. And then I believe about six months in, we then brought them on as a title gym. And that was a big celebrational thing where it was, we were gaining a new family member. We were gaining this new group of people that are going to help title become what we hope it will one day be. So you guys threw on, was it like a big event or was it like a, a dinner that kind of encompassed all the members together in one group? Or how did that exactly work? We did, we did a new grand opening. We did another grand opening for for Title Crosser Bronte. And, and what we did there was we made sure to be very welcoming to a new location coming into the fold. And that our the message was that our family was growing, that we were going to be able to bring on some really great team members. We picked up some super awesome people uh, who are coaches who are actually been amazing to be adding into our, into our, our staff. They've taught us a lot and we've added a ton of really great members. So we were lucky enough to have a, a bunch of our members from other locations travel out for it as well. And, and we had a lot of fun. We worked out and we had a big eat after and everybody high fived. Excellent. That's, I mean, that's awesome to hear. So we had, I mean, from the very beginning, when you guys decide that, hey, this is something that we want to do, we get to that second location finally by going through all these steps. Now let's talk about a third and fourth. If it, how did that process work? Did you just, hey, let's start back at step one and make sure that we want, yeah, this is the vision of opening a third location? Or what was kind of your thought process there? Well, actually, Greg, I'd like to take a, a quick step back because this is a really good question is whether or not two is enough. And and if you don't have aspirations to go beyond two, I'm about 90% sure that it's not worth it to just do two, if that makes sense. And the reason that I'm, I'm saying that is because the supportive structure that we had talked about earlier, it needs to be in place at two and actually only becomes financially reasonable when you probably get to three or four locations. Because you are going to be able to scale those roles where you're having to pay a good person to do those roles where you won't have enough supportive space within a single location to cover all of those supportive roles. So going to two locations, and this is what I think a lot, of, a lot of people run into, is that they go to the second location and the amount of support that having two locations needs 
is enormous and it drains the profitability of both locations to in order to the point where there maybe neither of them are profitable and it's only when you get to that third and fourth location that you're actually starting to see you getting over that hump where the rules are already in place the systems are already in place in order for you to start becoming profitable again wow okay so i mean that's a huge bombshell for me but so you're basically saying that if somebody wanted to open up a second location, that's great, but because of the stress of having two locations now under the same company, it actually won't make as much sense profitability-wise compared to opening a third or fourth actual location. Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm saying. Now, I would like to say that if you're running two locations that have completely separate branding and completely separate teams, then yeah, I think you could do well with that going to be a little bit different than what the way we've done it we are a brand title is its own entity and all the locations run the same system we run the same programming we do a lot of events together and it's when you would try to keep it as one brand that that is where the the the, the time is eaten up and that's where I, I believe the money is eaten up in trying to produce that and replicate that for multiple locations gotcha okay excellent well, uh, I think that's a, probably a perfect place to wrap it up, unless you got anything else for the listeners. I mean, that's, I mean, it's huge. Definitely something that I've been thinking about doing is opening a second location. And now, now with the way you explained it, I mean, that makes complete sense unless there's another team operating it completely separately. Um, maybe a third or fourth location makes a lot more sense so that we can hire those metal roles to, to take on some of this stuff, like the CFO, the COO, having a full accountant team, maybe an advertisement company, that kind of thing coming in and doing this or having one person that just does our social media for all, all locations. It makes a lot more sense to be able to fulfill paying those people the proper amount to have more. So I know eventually we'll jump on another podcast episode uh, about buying a gym and uh, getting into the details and the nitty gritty of that. But uh, thank you so much for jumping on to uh, Two Brain Radio. We yeah, appreciate thank you very it. very much for having me. Debt is a tricky subject in our world. We've been taught by HQ to avoid debt, to accumulate cash, and then when we've got enough money, to spend it. But in the business world, the reality is that there's good debt and there's bad debt. Good debt creates an asset. And there's also something called opportunity cost, meaning if you wait until you can afford something, you probably never will be able to afford it, and you'll be missing a ton of opportunity in the meantime. Let's say, for example, that you were bursting at the seams and your clients couldn't attend the 6 p.m. class anymore because there was a waiting list. So they started canceling their memberships. You're missing an opportunity cost here, the opportunity to keep your current clients. Because if they're paying for a membership and they can't attend, they're not going to keep that membership for long. So you're looking to expand. And so you're going to have to take on some debt or you're going to wait until you have the $10,000 or whatever that amount is to buy the new equipment. You can keep turning your clients away while you wait and try and accumulate this money, or you can leverage the capital through guys like Rig Equipment. Rig Equipment is a partner that we chose a two-brain business because their commitment to CrossFit and their commitment to helping first has been proven over several years. I gotta admit, I shy away a lot from money people. It's intimidating to work with people who understand money and finance better than I do. I'm sure you feel the same way. But these guys have shown up time and time again. They've offered free help. They've turned down business a lot of times because they aren't sure if the person has a good working business model. And to be honest, they've sent people to us and let us turn them down for them. 
because they wanted to know if this person's plan was going to work. Before you expand, before you start out, it's super important that you know what you're getting into, that you have a plan to pay back the debt, that you have a plan to increase cash flow that you're going to do based on new purchase. Rigquipment has a great tool. If you go to their site, rigquipment.com, you can figure out if you can afford that expansion. Should you be buying that new rig or should you be investing in something else like mentorship? These guys will even finance two brain business incubator phase if you purchase it with your equipment because they understand that the incubator makes your business more viable. It's less of a risk for them. I love working with Clay and Joe from Rigquipment because these guys understand what our service in life is, and that matches their service too. There it is. There we go. Now I got you. <laughs> Kim, welcome to Two Brain Stories. How are you? Hey, Greg. Good. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Oh, happy to. Good. Going well. Going well. So I wanted to bring you, you on, and I know unfortunately your husband couldn't be here, but that's okay. At least we got one of you on. Over the summertime, you guys had a little bit of a slump. And I want to talk about what kind of led up to that and then what kind of motivated you to kind of move forward. So tell me a little bit about you and the business you own, and then uh, let's get into that. For me, before we opened the gym, I taught elementary PE for seven years. I was a college athlete. I've just kind of everything I've ever done from one physical activity to the next. So when I started CrossFit, naturally, it was just an easy fit. And uh, when Brett, Brett and I met at our last CrossFit gym, funny enough, and when we got engaged, we, we had just left our other gym for so, so much drama and um, just kind of decided that we could do this. And so we took a dive. It, obviously, I think like most people can tell you, uh, it was a lot more work than we anticipated, but I love it. It's my dream. Uh, you talk about a perfect day. This is my perfect day. I'm right where I need to be. Brett still has his full-time job, so this is my full-time so Brett's more on the on the back back end of stuff. Um, he's my numbers guy. So if I need to know what our numbers look like, he's he's the one I go to, and um, he's the one that does all the stressing for me. So yeah, so um, you know we we've done pretty well. We've gone through our fair share um, of good and bad coaches already, um, and that was kind of what led us up into our summer. We uh, we had started our year with a a, a cancerous coach who had been allowed to stick around for a little too long. And she had just left um, right at the end of the, the open. Um, and so after that, I just kind of felt, you could, you could tell the, the atmosphere in the gym was different. You know, it just kind of, I felt deflated. So going into the summer, I went on a, a week-long trip with my family. And I just couldn't get my mojo back when I came back. And the gym took a big hit because of it. I wasn't as focused. And uh, when we saw those numbers really drop come August, that's when I started kind of lighting the fire under my ass and get moving again. So, you know, I, I stopped, uh, stopped focusing on the things that were out of my control and looked more at the things that I could control and that I could do differently. And we went from there. So I've got a whole, whole list of stuff that we tried. <laughs> what, so. uh, what were the stuff that you, that you focused in on that was not productive? What were the things that you were focusing on out of your control that you thought you could possibly control? <laughs> Trying to convince people to stick around that didn't really have the passion to stick around. You know, we had we had jumped through hoops to try to keep people around, and it was just never enough, never enough. So it didn't matter what we gave those types of people. And, you know, and we've read it and, and everyone's posts on here over and over and over again, but you always think that there's a couple of people who, who are the exception to the rule. And, oh, they'll, they'll appreciate it, and, you know, and they'll, they'll stay if we can just give them this little discount or, you know, 
give them a little bit more here. And um, like I said, it's just never enough. So I, we, I stopped focusing on what I could do differently for members in that aspect. And I started focusing more on that leveling out that playing field. So that would, that helped a lot. Okay. Cause then it, it weeded out the members who kept creating this stress for me over and over and over again. When you said, you said in the beginning, you had a cancerous coach. What yes. exactly were they doing that was kind of causing, causing this to, uh, to be at the gym? You know, she was a great coach on the CrossFit side of it. She was just a terrible CrossFit employee. She knew her stuff. She was great with the members. She made great relationships with the members. She just didn't align with our vision at all. To her, she wanted everyone to just come in and be friends and everyone work out for free. And no one, no one should have to pay extra for this because they already pay so much for this and so, and she ran our boot camp class. So that's when shit really hit the fan was when we were trying to level up our, our boot camp prices and we couldn't get her on board. But she was essentially running our boot camp class like a CrossFit class, just minus the barbell. That was a big deal for us. And that was really when it started to get shaky and kind of the beginning of the end with her. How did you actually decide to get rid of that coach? What did you, what, what did you guys do? Annual contracts came back around and uh, she didn't want to sign a contract. So she really made it pretty easy for us. And so we told her, well, you, Excellent. You, yeah, you can't, you can't stick on, you can't stay on if you're not on contract. So, so exactly. yeah. She, so now that we have, you get to that point where the, the gym is at a low, it's, it's hitting August. You finally stop focusing on the stuff that you can't control. What was the stuff that you started that you, that you could control and you focus in on that caused you guys to kind of rebound back from, from that, that slump? You know, I just turned my focus back on the members that we had that were just amazing. I have a couple of members that tell me little, little stories all the time about just using their, their fitness outside of the gym, how, you know, being more functional in their day to day without hurting themselves or without hurting the next day. So that just kind of was eye-opening that I focus all this negative energy on these members who aren't reciprocating, you know, that they're not making my life better in the end. So I really started focusing more on those positive members who do make my life better, who do, you know, because we went through that so many times, like, God, we're just over it. Should we sell? You know, I'm, I'm just done with this. And then I would get those amazing members and I'm like, Brett, this is why I'm here. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing because these people you know, that they're, every CrossFit gym is different and there's not another gym in our town that's like ours. You know, the other big gym in our town is competitive um, and they all do competitions, you know, and we're more lifestyle, a um, little bit older crowd. People just want to move well. So I really started focusing more on them, sharing them more on social media. I, I completely boosted social media, minimum of one to three posts a day, started blasting our members on their birthday on social media. You know, it's something that's so easy to do and so dumb that we weren't doing it consistently before, but that helped a lot. Just our social media presence and letting people know like, hey, we're here. This is what we do. This is the kind of crowd. These are just average everyday people just like you. That's really the message that we try to get. You know, we don't try to post someone deadlifting 500 pounds. That's not, that's not the message we're wanting to send. So we focus on our message and um, try to get that out as much as we could we bumped one of our, our coaches, we gave him more responsibility. So we turned, I turned over programming. I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm stressed. I'm overwhelmed. This is just too much for me right now. Turned over programming to one of our, actually our youngest coach on staff, but probably the most driven. And it, and in the last six months, his transformation has completely changed. You know, he got that, that little bit of ownership in what we're doing here. And so now he takes it, he takes it personally when other coaches aren't running class the way they're supposed to. 
And so, and I've just kind of seen him evolve over the last couple of months. So he now just got promoted to our head coach and he's now training our current staff, even though he's the youngest on staff by probably by 15 years. Um, Cause we've got quite a bit of older staff, but it's, it's just amazing. So to see him take that role on naturally, you know, it's nothing that I had to force or be like, Hey, I think you'd be great for this. He just kind of naturally took it on. And, and it was, you know, when I was talking with uh, Jeff about him, Jeff was like, why aren't you making Cody your head coach? And we were like, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's already doing that stuff. So um, it just made sense. So that was another big change. You know, like I said, giving him just that little bit of ownership and what we're doing boosted him so much. We also, uh, we also started doing what we, we call them XNO camps. So it's like, uh, it's like six classes. I got this idea from Jeff too. So we, we did like a gymnastics, uh, six classes of like gymnastics specialty, six classes of four specialty, and then six of only lifting. And we did that in September, October, November. And people jumped on board with that. It wasn't as big as we had hoped, but it was also the first time we did something like that. Our core class had nine people. So that was exciting for me because I ran that and I had a great time with it. And, you know, they're wanting it on the schedule more often. So that'll be something we definitely, I already have camps on the schedule for 2019 and <laughs> And it's better now because it's not going to be reactive where it was, you know, coming out of the summer, we're like, we just need to fill these numbers. So it's more of a reactive thing. But now, you know, doing my 19 scheduling, I've already got my first four camps up on there and uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. So things like that just really help turn around and get people excited again. And that way we can try to offer something for everybody, find something that everybody wants to do. Exactly. Now, what was the result of, of you guys shifting your focus to these camps and getting rid of the coach and promoting your head coach? Uh, what, what did you guys see the rebound effect basically of that? What was the result? Oh, um, well, just the overall mood in the gym changed completely. And, and I, think, I think making letting Cody take over programming about the same time that we lost um, that other coach was really a good switch too because then people had something else to focus on. Whereas they weren't so focused on, oh my God, coach Lisa is gone because she was a big part of the gym. It was more, oh my God, Cody is crazy. He wants us to do what, you know, cause our programming styles are very different. So I, I think just shifting what people are focused on and paying attention to really helps a lot. And, you know, them getting excited to see themselves on social media, little things like that. Excellent. Did I answer well, your question? I, think I don't know if I answered it. <laughs> you did. You did. Okay. <laughs> uh, because I think too many people focus in uh, when they get a, when they get something like this happen, because we all do. We all yes. have this where business gets slow. For, for me, it's usually September timeframe. It's right after kids go back to school, September, and then usually right around April is, is the, my mm -hmm. other slow time. And to, to think that, hey, I'm just, just going to focus in on trying to fix this one coach because they're just a bad attitude all the time. But really like what you did of taking that step back and, and saying, hey, I need to, to fix this. And sometimes to fix that is actually to go deeper in by removing someone like that. And then from there, focus, re refocusing on what you can't control, which is promoting podium your, your members, putting them, putting them exactly. up there to show the world like, hey, they're amazing and they're doing all these amazing things. And it doesn't have to be a 500 pound deadlift. It could right. be their first pull up. It could be exactly. they lost a pound of, of body fat because they stayed on your nutrition. And I and think the, too many and of the us confidence they gained. Other things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to get you guys on here because I wanted to talk about that and what you guys were able to achieve by refocusing and not just thinking like, oh, we need to make more in revenue, but more of we need to change the atmosphere and the attitude of how members approach just class. Um, yeah, exactly. and, and instead of just coming in and showing up, but being excited about it and uh, kind of reigniting their flame for why they joined the gym. Right, right. 
and we're still working on it. So, you know, it's, it's a work in progress because we do one thing and they get bored with it and we got to do something else. Um, so we're constantly, so the, the 19 calendars, I'm trying to get a little creative. So we'll see how that goes. Excellent. Excellent. And I can't wait to hear about, we'll bring you back on at some point and say, Hey, what, what was the calendar of events? What did, what did that kind of look like so that people can start having great ideas? Cause I know you guys are coming up with, with awesome, awesome ideas with you and your mentors. So thank you, Kim. Thank you for being able to jump on here. We greatly appreciate you and everything you do. So thank you for sharing your story. All right. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. As always, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We greatly appreciate you and everyone that has subscribed to us. If you haven't done that, please make sure you do. Drop a like to the episode, share with a friend. And if you haven't already, please write us a review and rate us on what you think. If you hated it, let us know. If you loved it, even better. See you guys later.